turn in your copy of the scriptures or scroll in your Bible app to the gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 10. Uh, If you have begun uh, joining us at Grace Fellowship Church anytime over the last eight weeks, you might not be aware of the fact that we are in the middle of a series that takes us through the gospel of Luke. And I say that you may not be aware because we haven't in eight weeks. So the last time that we preached a message out of Luke was Luke chapter 10. It was Pastor Brad who preached from uh, preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan. But then we had our Christmas services and then we had a concert of prayer and we had testimony services and all that stuff. So we're getting back into the gospel of Luke, picking up where we left off. And so today we pick up in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 through 42 is where we're going to be spending our time. And in honor of God's holy word, as we read it now, if you're physically able, would you stand and follow along silently as I read aloud Luke chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 38. This is what the word of God says. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So let's take a look at verse 38 again, where we started reading today. It says this, now as they went on their way, they being Jesus and his disciples, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Now, Luke doesn't tell us the name of the village, but it was probably Bethany since we know that's where Mary and Martha lived. And uh, the Gospel of John tells us that Bethany is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. So we'll assume that that's where Jesus went. They entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, the way that's worded, a woman named Martha, we're led to believe that this is probably when Jesus had first met Mary and Martha. And so it's, uh, for instance, if I was to say, I am going to a uh, man and woman's house named Roger and Becky Patterson. He is tall. He works for Answers in Genesis, and we're going to have a meal over there. Uh, the way I'm describing them to you would assume that you probably don't know them or that maybe I'm just like, this is the first time that I'm coming into contact with them. Whereas I would never say it that way. If you said, what are your plans for tonight? I'm going to Roger and Becky's for dinner. And so the way this is worded, a woman named Martha, we're led to believe this is Jesus's time of meeting them. This is when they're first meeting Jesus. And so Martha has a sister named Mary, and they both also have a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus, you may know from the Gospel of John, he kind of makes a splash onto the scene because Jesus raises him from the dead. We're not going to read about that today. That's kind of a big deal. Uh, but Mary and Martha are, are Lazarus's uh, sisters. Uh, verse 38, a woman named Martha welcomed him to her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listen to his teaching. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much 
serving. And so right here, we see something that we see is common throughout any time we see Martha mentioned in the scriptures, and that is that she's a doer. She has a bias for action. She's going to get done what needs to get done. You probably have someone like that in your circle of friends in your family where someone's just like, someone says, let's go, right? Like you've all gathered together and it's time to go and no, everyone's just kind of hanging out and you're all going to go, but someone says, all right, let's go. Or someone says, all right, it's time to eat. Someone takes that step that maybe that's you. Oftentimes that's me. That's Martha. In fact, anytime you see Martha mentioned throughout the scriptures, she's never sitting. She's actually always doing something, always doing something. She is that person. Uh, you'll see that she's always associated with action. And that's what we see here. Now in verse 39, it says this, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she goes up to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? But Jesus says, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Verse 42, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her, which brings us to our first point. You can't overstate the importance of personal time spent with Jesus, just you and him. You can't overstate the importance of personal time spent with Jesus, just you and him. Look at the first part of verse 42. But one thing is what? Helpful. It's not what it says. One thing is beneficial or one thing would really add value to your life. No, it says one thing is what? Necessary. Necessary. That's the Greek word krea, meaning that which is lacking and particularly needed. One thing is necessary to fill something that's lacking, something that's particularly needed in Mary's life and in the life of any believer. Mary lacked something. That which she lacked isn't just helpful or beneficial or a great value add. In fact, Jesus says one thing is krea. In other words, one thing is lacking and particularly needed. Then he goes on to say, Mary has chosen the good portion. The good portion. And so we're reminded that time with Jesus provides what you and I need for everyday life. In fact, oftentimes, particularly in the Psalms, the Lord is referred to as our portion. Psalm 16.5 is in your outline. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And so we're reminded that time at Jesus's feet is not something supplemental. It's not, but it's something that's absolutely essential. That's why throughout the scriptures, you don't see time spent with God referred to in terms of helpful, but needful. Right in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8 and verse 3, and Jesus repeats this uh, when he is in the wilderness being tempted by Satan himself. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3 says this, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man, what? Does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so God tells us two things here, right? What you can't do, live by bread alone, and what you must do, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God wants you to see time with him as necessary for life, as a matter of life or death. He is necessary 
to live. And so if you think you're living without him and you're like, I think my walk with him is kind of fine. I mean, we don't often, I go to church or I go to community group, but my personal time with him, it's not really there, but I think I'm okay. Watch out. You're probably not. It's like someone who says, you know what? I mean, I know I need to sleep, but I don't think I need as much sleep as other people think. I mean, I think I can get by with maybe two, three, four hours a night. It's like, you might be able to do that for a little while, but after a while, it's going to catch up. Or when someone says, I don't feel like I need to, you know, I I just kind of eat when I'm hungry. And if I'm not hungry, I just don't really, I don't really care. I don't pay attention. Or I just, I exercise like when I need to exercise, but I don't really need to be as active. You can do that for a while. You really can. But after a while, if you're not getting the necessary sleep, the necessary nutrition and sustenance, and the necessary activity, it's going to have its toll on your body. And friends, it's the same way with personal time with the Lord. You might think, well, I go to church, I listen to podcasts, I read good books, uh, I, I go to community group. You might be very involved in those things, but you don't have that personal time with the Lord on a consistent basis. You might say, I, I mean, I, I think I'm okay. Or you might do it as part of your job or part of your life. You might say, you know, I mean, I just, I do it to teach my kids or I do it for this or I do it for that or I do it to, like that's all good and well. But that's not the same as sitting at the Lord's feet on a consistent basis to hear from him through his word and to communicate with him through prayer. In fact, the Lord and his word is the only truly timeless thing that we have, right? Luke 10, 42 says, Mary's chosen the good portion, which what? Will not be taken away from her. That which she's receiving, that which she's hearing, that which is feeding her soul, her mind and her heart will not be taken away from her. Isaiah 40 and verse eight says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And friends, especially in dark and uncertain times, which by the way, we've been in since the fall of man. So especially in dark and uncertain times, but many would say in our lifetime, these are some of, if not the darkest, the most uncertain times that we've lived in, especially in these times, we need to be firmly rooted in someone that doesn't change, in something that is constant, in something that is always there and never changing and being blown about like with every new thing that's coming about, coming about and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I know you can't pull a Mary and sit at his feet in your house because he's in heaven, but you have to realize that the only thing you're missing is his actual feet. Uh, that you, you're only missing his physical presence. You have his word. And in fact, you have something that Mary didn't have and Martha didn't have. And that is the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, not just temporarily, not just here. He, he comes in and he leaves, but making his abode, his permanent home within you. And so you might think, wow, it must be really cool for Mary and Martha to be with Jesus I mean, I'm sure it's cool. I'm sure it's something that I would enjoy. But understand, Jesus was with them, and then what did he do? He left. We have God the Holy Spirit with us at all times as believers. We have not just what Jesus was teaching then, and we don't see what he's teaching, we don't know what he's saying, but we have the whole counsel of God's word. We have access to Jesus anytime we want. We now more than ever have access to his word anytime we want. Gone are the days where you're like, I wish I had my Bible on me because you can pull it up on your phone like that. 
you have more access to Jesus now than perhaps you, anybody, any Christian has had in the past 2,000 years of Christianity. And so we are in a place in our lives where we need sitting time. Just like Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, we need sitting time. And I'm not primarily talking about you sitting in a church building on a Sunday morning, although I think that's good. I just don't think that's the primary application of this text. I'm not primarily talking about you sitting in a community group, although I hope you do. That's great. I just don't think that's the primary application of this text. You need sitting time, sitting time with you and Jesus, not just on a Sunday morning, but on a random Tuesday or a Thursday or a Monday. That's the more important time. In fact, the Lord rewards those who seek him in private on their own time when only he sees and only he knows. Keep your finger in Luke 10, but flip back over, excuse me, to the book of Matthew uh, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. So the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew is between chapters 5 and 7. Matthew 6 is right in the middle. Look at some of what Jesus says here. Uh, Pick it up in verse... Well, we'll start in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now look at verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in what? In secret. And your Father, who sees in what? Secret, will reward you. So there's a... Uh, And Jesus is elevating the importance of what we do that only he can see. What we do on our own time, not on a time of corporate worship, not when you're with other people. That certainly has its place. But Jesus says he sees what you do in secret. Uh, Look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who sees in what? Secret. Excuse me, who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, Skip down to verse 17. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others and by your father who is in what? Secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So here we're reminded that our everyday life, as we just live our lives, that Only God sees in our everyday life, that which we do in secret, meaning it's just between me and him, matters a lot to Jesus. The sitting time, the time with just you and him matters a lot. And finally, you should never underestimate the correlation between quality of time and quantity of time. I know people like to say it's not about the quantity of time, but about quality time. And there's an element of truth to that. But the bottom line is this. Quality time is oftentimes a byproduct of quantity time. And so even in our relationships with each other, right? Even with my uh, my relationship with Sarah, there's certainly times when we say, you know what? We just need to get away from it all. Let's, we'll, we'll leave the kids. They'll raise themselves. No, we'll leave the kids and let's go on a trip or let's take some time where it's just us. Let's just focus on each other and enjoy ourselves. That's great. That's wonderful. But you have to understand if that's the only time we're spending together, 
Our marriage is not going to be strong. We're not going to have a strong relationship with one another. If we just wait, like we're going to really just spend time when it can really be quality focused time. The bottom line is those are kind of like splashes in the pan. How are we spending time in normal everyday life? It's probably the same for you with your spouse or with your kids or with your friends. How do you spend time in normal everyday life? Sure, a bunch of you can go on a trip together. That's wonderful. But the quality time is probably going to come with you spending time with one another in everyday life. When work is in effect, when school is in effect, when life is just normal versus taking the one or two weeks or the small amount of time out of the 52 weeks in a year to say, but this is our quality time. We value quality time over quantity time. Friends, quality time is oftentimes a byproduct of quantity time. Spending that regular time with the Lord, with each other. That's why you read something like this in 1 Chronicles 16, uh, verse 11. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence, what? Continually. It's not just something we find once and say, that was awesome. I can't wait to, to see that again. It's not just about the mountaintop experience, but just our normal walk through life. And so think about it. What about you? Jesus tells Martha that Mary is doing that which is necessary, that which can fill her, the good portion, and that which can't be taken from her. What about you? What's your sitting plan when it comes to time spent with Jesus? What's your sitting plan? How does that, how do you roll when it comes to making sure that you have quantity time and quality time spent at the feet of Jesus? It's not going to be the same for every person. Uh, I know someone who spends between two and three hours every day in the word of God and has the vast majority of the New Testament memorized. And he's semi-retired. And his kids are growing and out of the house. And he has the time that he can spend in that way on a consistent basis. And it didn't look that way when he had five kids in his home and was a bivocational pastor and was serving in that way. That, it looked differently But he dedicates his time because that's the season of life that he's in right now. You might say, I could never do that. You probably can't. If you're saying that, I'm guessing you probably can't. People are like, you can always wake up earlier. You actually can't. There's a limit. And so I'm just saying at some point, develop some sort of consistent plan that you can stick to for the most part. And when you fall off the wagon, get back up. You don't have to make up for lost God's not like you kind of owe me three hours. Like you said, we were going to do an hour a day. God's God's so unimpressed with your consistency. So, so just spend that time with Jesus coming back before him saying, I just want to sit at his feet. And if that, if that's for an hour in the morning or a half hour in the morning, or if that's during your lunchtime, when you have the ability to just kind of hunker down, or if that's at night, I don't know when it is. I just care that you think through what your sitting time is like, because one thing is necessary. And Mary is choosing the thing that will fill her, that will sustain her, that nobody can take away from her. Not any other human being, not any force of wickedness, but that which the Lord hides within her heart will be with her forever. And friends, the bottom line is this. Life happens. Life just happens. Things just happen. If you don't have some sort of a sitting plan, it's probably not going to happen. You can't just hope and pray. I just think I'll, I'll get to it when I get to it. 
when I find, you know, a, a meeting's canceled or, or, or something happens when you find yourself with, oh, I have an extra spare X amount of minutes, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, 60 minutes. I'll give that to the Lord. I'm not saying it's wrong to give that to the Lord. But don't just give God what's left over. Have some sort of a plan where it's like, you know what? This is important enough to me that I block out this time so that I can have a consistent time sitting at the feet of Jesus. What about you? What is your sitting plan? What will that look like for you so that you can be before the Lord, not just when things really, really go crazy, not just, which is fine to go to him then, not just at times when you find that you're really, really scared over a certain thing, but on a regular basis so that you would have a firm foundation rooted in God's word and rooted in a relationship that you have with Jesus so that when the going gets tough, the tough can get going. Have a plan that gets you with Jesus on a regular basis. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but this account of Jesus's ministry is pretty well known. Right? What I mean by that is if you've been a Christian for any given time, if you've read through the Gospels before, this is not some real obscure passage. People usually know this. Like, oh, it's Mary and Martha, and Mary sits, and Martha serves, and you know, Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's house, and he's teaching, and Mary listens, but Martha's so busy, busy, busy that she misses out on the opportunity of a lifetime hearing from Jesus Christ, hearing from the Messiah, the Son of God in person, hearing the Word of God from the Word of God. But Martha was so busy, busy, busy that she missed out on the opportunity, and so Jesus gently corrects her. And so we have two people here, Mary and Martha. Mary sits, Martha serves, Martha gets corrected, and so sitting is better than serving. And I just want to say kind of, sort of. I think a, a, a quick look at that could yield that result or that conclusion, but I don't think that's really the application that we need to take away from the text. Now, let me be very clear. This is not me saying... You can't really trust your Bible at face value. It drives me crazy when it's like, no, this is not what this means. It means something completely different. No, there is an element which we just spoke about, about the importance of sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus always says what he means and means what he says. And so in verse 42, when he says, one thing is necessary, Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. He means it. Every word, Mary is doing something better than Martha. No question. It's important we know what Mary is being lauded for and what Jesus wants Martha to see. However, equally important, I think we need to see where Martha was in error. Otherwise, we're liable to throw the Martha out with the bathwater, right? Uh, We're liable to throw the baby out with the bathwater and the baby's name would be Martha in this case. We know what to do. But what are we not to do? In other words, how do we not do what Martha was being corrected for? Because if we don't look at that, we're liable to set up in our minds a false dichotomy. Uh, A false dichotomy is when there's two alternate points of view and they're presented as the only two options, even when there's other options that are possible. It's based on a, a premise that erroneously limits what options are available. And unless you live under a rock... Uh, right now, there's probably more false dichotomies out there than maybe ever before. Well, if you don't believe this, then you definitely believe that. Well, if you believe this, then you're probably for that. It's like, whoa. We need to stay out of the ditches, generally speaking, but especially when it comes to the word of God and understand what is going on 
here. Let's not fall victim to a false dichotomy of reading this portion of Scripture and thinking there's two options. Uh, There's working or there's worshiping. There's sitting or there's serving. And clearly the sitting is right and the serving is wrong. Or maybe both are good, but one is superior to the other. And so that brings us to point number two. Whether your work for Jesus is worship of Jesus is mostly up to you. Whether your work for Jesus is worship of Jesus is mostly up to you. Take a look at verse 40. Luke says, Martha was what? Distracted with much serving. Now, I would submit to you that I don't think Martha was doing anything wrong. Uh, I think it was how she was thinking. I think it was her mindset, the, the attitude of her heart that Jesus gently corrected. I think Martha's in a bad way. She's in a bad frame of mind. She's got a, a bad outlook on life. She's in a bad place. And here's why I think that. Because in verse 40, where it says Martha was distracted, that's what's called to our attention. It doesn't say Martha was serving a lot and this was wrong and she's a busybody and she needed to chill. That's, that's not what it says. Verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with much serving. That Greek word distracted, it means to be dragged away mentally, to be driven about mentally. I don't think it's wrong to say Martha was kind of out of her mind. She was not in a good place, mentally speaking. It was not a place of health. It was not a place of righteousness. She was being driven about mentally. And I think that's what Jesus is commenting on. And if you look at Martha's actions, she kind of proves that, doesn't she? I mean, let's consider this. Jesus didn't start the conversation with Martha, right? Jesus is just doing his thing. He's teaching. All of a sudden, Martha comes in. Mary's sitting there. Martha comes in, and she starts talking to Jesus. And she says what? What does she actually say? Uh, She says, you know, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now, I want to call to your attention the times when you've said to somebody, don't you care? Don't, do you even care? And I just want to ask, have you ever asked that question genuinely? Like, is there, when you say, don't you care? Is there an opportunity for that person to say, so glad you asked, I really do. And you're like, cool, I just wanted to know. Like, that's not how we communicate. When you say, don't you care? What are you really saying? You don't care. You don't care. Martha's accusing Jesus. She's not genuinely asking him anything. Evidenced by the fact that after she asks this question, does she give him time to answer? No. She goes from accusing to demanding. You don't care. Hey, I'll show you how you can care. Tell Mary to help me for crying out loud. And so there's this accusation made of Jesus. You don't even care. You don't care. Then she says, tell her then to help me. And then she goes from accusing to demanding. Hey, Jesus, maybe you didn't notice, but the table doesn't set itself. The food doesn't prepare itself. The drinks don't pour themselves. Actually, I'm doing that. Martha, 
all by myself. So here's how you can start caring. Throw me a bone here and tell my sister, Mary, studious Mary, sitting Mary, to maybe get up off her duff and help a sister out. Hey, Mary, let's listen more kitchen. What does Jesus say in response? Oftentimes, I think we think Jesus says, stop serving and start listening. But he doesn't. In fact, Jesus, wearied from his journey, probably appreciates someone checking on the pasta every now and again. Probably wasn't pasta. It's just me. Nowhere does Jesus correct her for what she's doing. Nowhere does Jesus say what she was doing was wrong. Jesus doesn't even tell her to stop. Martha's error was not in what she was doing, but in why she was doing it. She had a worker's mindset, not a worship mindset. She lost sight of the one whom she was serving, Jesus Christ. She wasn't doing anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with preparing a meal. It's very hospitable. It's very Christ-like. But one of the saddest false dichotomies is that you're either worshiping or you're serving. Where I would say this, point number two, whether or not your work for Jesus is worship of Jesus is really up to you. Take it from someone who works for Jesus. You work for Jesus? It's not your job. It's a calling. It's a job. I would have been in trouble if I didn't show up today. Like, it, it's, a, it's a job. Surely there's a calling. Surely there's spirit-empowered giftedness of or is that. But at the end of the day, there's a job. There's a, a paycheck and there's benefits. There's a job with being a pastor. For over 20 years now, it's been my vocation. It's my career to serve God and his people. Whether or not my work for Jesus is worship of Jesus is mostly up to me. And my mindset as I do what I do. How I view what I do for my job has to do with what I do when you don't see me. The time that I come before the Lord in my relationship with him, not as a pastor, not as an elder, not as a leader in the church, but as a child of God. Where the, level, the, the playing field is level for all who love Jesus. I mean, you see us like bouncing around up here and preaching and welcoming and doing all those things. But a lot of that can just be the right mix of personality and a decent amount of caffeine. Like whether or not my work for Jesus is worship of Jesus is not based on what you see, but on what you don't see. Just like we saw in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus teaches about giving, praying, and fasting and says, do those in secret, God sees. He rewards what you do in Secret. Whether or not your work for Jesus is worship of Jesus is mostly up to you. It has very little to do with what people see. Very much to do with what only God sees. Uh, Turn over to the book of Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12. It's a key part in the book of Romans. In fact, if you look at the end of verse of chapter 11, which is just before Romans 12, it sounds like the end of one of Paul's letters, right? Look at Romans 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and 
to him are all things, to him be glory forever. And all God's people said, amen, right? It's, this is a closing of a letter, it seems like. Like theoretically, if Paul ended his letter there, we wouldn't be like, that was abrupt. It would make sense. But in reality, Romans 1 through 11 was this firm foundation of teaching and doctrine. And now in Romans 12, through the end of the book in Romans 16, Paul starts giving marching orders. He's like, okay, in light of what we've spoken about, here's what I want you to do. Here's how to apply. In light of this firm foundation of doctrine, here's what I want you to do with your life. And so pick it up in Romans 12 and verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual what? Worship. And so Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Then there's this phrase, by the mercies of God, which actually might be the most important phrase in the verse because that's where you get your why. That's where you get the motivation to do what he's saying. He's saying, reflect on God's Mercy. And when you reflect on God's mercy, you reflect on Jesus Christ. And when you reflect on Jesus Christ, you reflect on the truth of the gospel. Where else is God's mercy shown so clearly, so consistently, than God the Father sending his son to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for sinners like you and like me so that we might be treated with mercy instead of judgment? And so here Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, remember God's mercy, remember the gospel, remember the simplicity and the profundity of the good news of Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again for sinners. In light of that, do what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which shouldn't make sense to you because associated with sacrifice is usually not life, but what? Death. But God's calling to our attention that our lives would be constantly lived in a sacrificial way. In light of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for sinners like you and like me, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your life is a life of worship. You say, I, well, brother, it ought to be. I'm not saying it ought to be. I'm saying it is. Everyone's life is a life of worship. Whether you're a pastor, a doctor, a teacher, a cop, a photographer, a homemaker, a house builder, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, white collar, blue collar, any collar, your life is a life of worship. You're worshipers by nature. God has created us as worshipers. And so our worship isn't limited to a specific day or a specific place, but we live lives of worship out of the overflow of our hearts in whatever God has called us to do, vocationally or otherwise. And the basis of that in Romans 12 and verse 1 is the mercies of God. And so it's worth pausing to say this. What about you? How often does the message of the gospel, what you know to be true of Jesus if you're a believer... How often does the good news of the gospel impact you as you live your everyday life? 
as you do whatever you do, as you go to school, as you go to work, as you serve in your home, as you go to community group, as you do whatever you do, as you go shopping, as you, how often does the mercies of God, the simplicity yet profundity of the gospel impact your everyday life? And I would say, if you're spending some sort of consistent sitting time with Jesus, you increase the odds of his word, his life, his death, his resurrection, his glorious return being on your mind on a regular basis than if you only hear from God's word on a Sunday morning. That's why the sitting time is important. Martha was losing her mind. Martha was busy with the things that needed to be done. Right? She wasn't doing anything sinful. She was being hospitable. She wasn't starting a brothel. She wasn't mothering a nation. She wasn't doing anything that wouldn't bring God glory. It's not what she was doing. It's the mindset and where her heart was. She was being driven about mentally. And that's why Jesus says, Martha, very calm, very lovingly. Martha, Martha, hey, hey, whoa. You're so anxious about so many things. Mary is choosing the good portion that nobody can take away from her. Calm down, girl. It's not that she needs to stop serving. It's that she needs to change the mentality with which she serves. Our worship isn't limited to a specific day or a specific place or a specific posture, whether you're sitting at Jesus' feet or serving through your vocation or doing whatever you do or serving at church or serving on the coffee team or a welcome ministry or whatever you have. In fact, if anybody knows that our worship isn't limited to a specific day or a specific place, it's Grace Fellowship Church, which started with a small group of people smaller in number than most community groups, meeting in a wide variety of non-church places, a person's living room, a synergy conference room, Dixie Heights High School, Turkey Foot Middle School, Scott High School. The Fort Thomas campus started out as the Newport campus nine years ago, almost to the day. We met in a smaller movie theater. We moved to a larger movie theater. Then we moved to an event center in which we set up and tore down for years. Then we worshiped in a room that used to be an event center because the event center went out of business. And we did that until we moved into our current space, which used to be an antique center. We know that worship can take place at any time and in any place. We love our new space. We wouldn't give it up for the world. We're very blessed. But we didn't just start worshiping corporately because now we have a space that we can call our own. Our worship of Christ isn't limited to a specific place or a specific action. We worship Christ every day, regardless of what we're doing, because he's taken care of our greatest needs. Therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, present your lives as living sacrifices. How often does the truth of the gospel, the, the simple truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, having died for sinners like you and like me, spur you on to do what you do in your everyday life. Whether or not your work for Jesus is worship of Jesus is mostly up to you. And here's the thing, which brings us to our final point. The more time you spend at Jesus' feet, the more time you'll spend on your feet in ministry to others. 
The more time you spend with Jesus, the more your faith in him will grow. And it might change what you're doing, but it will definitely change how you're doing what you're doing or why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, Flip over to the Gospel of John chapter 11. Uh, John chapter 11. And pick it up in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Remember, Lazarus is Mary and Martha's brother. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. We brought up that before. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she what? She went. There it is. Martha, action. She went and met him. But Mary remained what? Seated. Yep, she's a sitter. Seated at, in the house. Verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You might think as you read that, there she goes, right? Accusing Jesus again. It's kind of her thing. No, read on. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so what Martha's doing here is not, don't you care? That's not what you see here. You see a different Martha. Martha's just, she's just proclaiming her faith. I know that if you were here, you could have prevented him from dying. And guess what else I know? I know that whatever you ask from God, you're going to get. It's a very different Martha. Uh, Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Like she's like a yes and amen at full faith that he'll rise with all the believers. And Jesus like, no, I'm talking like a lot sooner. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, what? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. No longer is she this frustrated worker being driven about mentally. She's a worshiper. Oh, no question you could have prevented him from dying. No question, like there's no doubt in her mind. No question you'll get whatever, God, whatever you ask of God. Do you believe this? Yes, straight up. Yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. This is a very different Martha, but she's still a doer. She's still the one who ran out. Skip over to John chapter 12. Because also the more time you spend with Jesus, the more time you'll actually spend in ministry serving him and his. It's a natural byproduct. And so Martha's obviously spent time with Jesus since the first time we see her in our text today in Luke chapter 10. Her faith in him has grown. We just saw her proclaim, yes, I totally believe in you. You're the son of God. I know you can get whatever you want because you are the son of God. But also, that also leads to a life of worship at the feet of Jesus leads to a life of you being on your feet for the sake of Jesus. Uh, Take a look at John chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was. What we didn't cover is Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Very big deal. Lazarus is now alive. So Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Verse 2, so they gave a dinner for him there. Who served? 
Again? Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. And so here is Jesus, Martha, I assume Mary as well, and Lazarus, the guy who he just recently raised from the dead that everybody's trying not to stare at. It's not in the text, but I think that's a safe guess. Martha's doing what? Serving. Why doesn't Jesus correct her? Because she's not being driven about mentally. She's doing the same thing. She's preparing a meal. She is serving her guests. But she wasn't doing so with the same mindset. She was a worshiper. And so it's not sitting or serving. It's not worshiping or working. She is worshiping as she does what she does out of love for the father, out of love for the son, and out of love for God's people who are gathered there in her home. She's still a doer, but she's a doer with a different mindset. She loves Jesus and she does what she does in an act of worship, not in being, in fretting about through working. She's a worshiper. And so what about you? As you have continued to spend time at Jesus' feet over the years, how has that impacted the time you spend on your feet in ministry to others? As you sit at the feet of Jesus, as you spend time with him personally, just you and him, not talking about community group, not talking about Sunday morning, just you and him as you spend time with him. How does that impact your mentality as you then spend time on your feet, living life, serving in ministry for the glory of God, doing what you do on a regular basis, vocationally, doing what you do in school, doing what you do in your everyday life. Are you driven about mentally? Like old Martha? Or are you driven about by the mercies of God, the truth of the gospel like the Martha we see in the Gospel of John, very different from the Martha we see in the Gospel of Luke. And so it's my hope and my prayer that as we continue to have our sitting time, that we would prioritize that and make sure that we set something up in our lives to ensure that we get consistent time with Jesus, just you and Jesus that we would hear from his word, that we would speak to him in prayer, that we would cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us, and that we would see fruit born from the time that we spend sitting at Jesus' feet that would show itself as we spend time on our feet for Jesus' sake, for his glory, and for our good. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word and Reminded of the importance of sitting at your feet, of getting from you what we can only get from you, a reminder, a, a recentering of sorts as we are reminded of your mercy, of your grace. And Lord, we pray that that would be what motivates us to do all that we do, that we would not be driven about mentally. We would not be dragged away by our own mind, but that we would be firmly rooted in you. Firmly rooted in remembering that our greatest problem has been taken care of on the cross. And Lord, I ask you to do what only you can do. Uh, personally apply this 
to each believer. Lord, personally apply this and show them what that looks like for them. What does sitting time look like? What does time spent on our feet in ministry for your glory look like? And Lord, would you save souls? Would you draw people? Would you introduce them to the mercy of God that Paul talks about? And call people out of darkness into your marvelous light. Do all these things. Lord, we trust you and have full confidence in you, even as Martha did, that you can do all your holy will. Do it for your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.